everyone, and welcome to The Odo Approach, a podcast created by medical students for medical students to teach you about all things otolaryngology. I'm your host, Aileen, and today we're going to do part two of adult hearing loss. Tag along for a discussion about this common presentation within otolaryngology and primary care settings. We'll start with a summary of the anatomy of the ear. This was already covered in part one of adult hearing loss, so feel free to skip ahead if you feel you already have a good grasp on it. The anatomy of the ear is uniquely constructed to allow for hearing. The ear is divided into three segments, the outer, middle, and inner ear. The outer, comprised of the auricle or pinna, an external auditory canal, is the part with the most contact with the external world. The outer ear, or auricle, features including the helix, antihelix, tragus, and antitragus, effectively catch the sound waves and funnel them down into the external auditory canal. The middle ear is an air-filled space, which is divided into the epitympanic recess and tympanic chamber, and contains the ossicles. The tympanic membrane separates the outer ear and middle ear. The ossicles, including the malleus, incus, and stapes, are bony structures suspended by ligaments which allow them to move and transmit vibrations to the inner ear. The inner ear contains the vestibular system, responsible for balance and equilibrium, and the cochlea, which is essential for hearing. The piston-like motion of the stapes is effective in transmitting energy to the cochlea through the oval window, resulting in movement of the fluid of the inner ear. The cochlea is composed of three main fluid compartments, the scala tympani, scala vestibuli containing perilymphatic fluid, and the scala media containing endolymphatic fluid. The organ of corti contains inner and outer hair cells, which allows for the transduction of electrical auditory signals. The stiffness and size of the hair cells varies throughout the cochlea, which allows for the cells to respond to a range of frequencies. These are distributed throughout the cochlea such that the cells that respond to low frequencies are located near the apex of the cochlea, whereas the cells that respond to high frequencies are at the base of the cochlea. The vibration of the sound waves through the fluid bends the stereocilia on these hair cells. This mechanical energy is then converted to electrical energy, which is transmitted to the central nervous system through the cochlear or auditory nerve, which is a branch of cranial nerve 8, also called the vestibulocochlear nerve. The other branch, the vestibular nerve, innervates the organs of balance of the inner ear, the semicircular canals and otolith organs, and conveys sensory impulses regarding the head and body motion to the brain. Hearing loss can be classified into three types sensory neural, conductive, and mixed. Sensory neural loss involves the inner ear, the cochlea, or the auditory nerve. Conductive hearing loss involves any cause that limits the amount of external sound from gaining access to the inner ear, typically outer or middle ear pathologies. Mixed hearing loss is a combination of sensory neural and conductive loss. In our last episode, we reviewed problems associated with the outer ear and the middle ear, which resulted in conductive hearing loss. Now we're going to focus on the pathologies of the inner ear, which cause sensory neural hearing loss. Presbycusis, or age-related loss, is a common cause of sensory neural hearing loss, affecting approximately 1 in 3 in the United States between 65 and 74 years of age, and nearly half of those older than 75. It's characterized by gradual bilateral loss of high-frequency hearing associated with advanced aging. Common presentation includes individuals struggling to hear or understand speech in environments with noisy backgrounds, difficulty understanding consonants, and inability to hear high-pitched noises. Hearing aids are the mainstay for improving hearing and quality of life in those with presbycusis. Infection can also cause sensory neural hearing loss. The most common infection of the inner ear in adults is viral cochleitis. Viral cochleitis typically presents as sudden sensory neural hearing loss, while other symptoms of vertigo, facial paralysis, and pain are less frequent. Such infections can damage the inner ear hair cells and therefore impair hearing. Cochlear implants can be used in this context, and postlingual adults with profound sensory neural hearing loss bilaterally often receive the most benefit from this approach. 
Meniere's disease is a disorder of the inner ear mainly affecting adults between 30 and 60 years of age and causes symptoms including sensation of fullness in the ear, hearing loss, tinnitus, and recurrent bouts of vertigo. It is a progressive disease with fluctuating episodes of symptoms. The vertigo resolves eventually, but hearing loss can become permanent and progress to involve all frequencies. Treatment can involve beta-histine plus thiazide diuretic, caffeine restriction, intratympanic corticosteroids, intratympanic gentamicin, psychological support, salt restriction, and vestibular rehabilitation. Other inner ear causes of hearing loss include tumors, the most common being an acoustic neuroma or vestibular schwannoma, a benign tumor originating from the vestibular portion of the eighth cranial nerve. The presentation would include primary symptom of unilateral sensory neural hearing loss, It may also include unilateral tinnitus, disequilibrium, dizziness, headaches, or facial muscular twitching. The mainstays of treatment include observation, surgical excision, and radiation. Trauma can also affect the inner ear, causing sensory neural hearing loss, including penetrating trauma and blunt force trauma. Metabolic abnormalities such as diabetes have been associated with this type of hearing loss as well. Additionally, autoimmune inner ear disease has been defined as a cause of bilateral sensory neural hearing loss. Treatment includes steroids and immunosuppressive therapies. There are also iatrogenic causes in that surgical procedures or medications can cause damage to the inner ear and subsequent hearing ability. The most commonly used drugs that are ototoxic are antibiotics and chemotherapy agents, and sensory neural loss associated with such drugs is permanent. Other drugs are known to cause reversible hearing loss, including high-dose aspirin or other salicylates, loop diuretics, and antimalarial medications such as quinine. Sudden sensory neural hearing loss, or SSNHL, in adults is an emergency and an important presentation to be aware of. It's defined as sensory neural hearing loss of 30 decibels or greater over at least three contiguous audiometric frequencies occurring within a 72-hour period. The majority of cases are idiopathic. However, the most frequent cause identified includes infectious, otologic traumatic, vascular, and neoplastic. Idiopathic sudden sensory neural hearing loss is most common in 43 to 53-year-olds. The typical presentation of patients is immediate or rapid hearing loss or loss of hearing upon wakening. The hearing loss is typically unilateral, but up to 3% may experience bilateral loss. More than 90% of those with unilateral hearing loss have ipsilateral tinnitus and 20 to 60% experience vertigo. A history and physical examination are necessary as well as audiometry to establish the diagnosis, which should then be conducted as soon as possible, but should not delay treatment. MRI is also the preferred imaging technique in this clinical scenario and should be completed within three months of onset. Laboratory studies can also be completed to rule out other causes, including hypothyroidism, hyperviscosity syndrome, or vasculitis. If there is a cause identified, treating the underlying etiology is a critical component of treatment. For all patients, the initial treatment suggested includes glucocorticoids, which can be administered systemically, intratympanically, or in combination, ideally started within the first five days of symptom onset. Hyperbaric oxygen therapy may be utilized as an adjuvant to the initial steroid. However, there's further research required to support this approach. Although high-quality evidence is lacking in the support of adding antiviral therapy to the approach, if a patient is identified within the first 48 hours of their symptom onset, an antiviral may be offered due to the potential benefits and limited risk. The overall prognosis for idiopathic sudden sensory neural hearing loss is favorable, with about two-thirds of patients recovering some degree of their hearing, typically within three months. However, if improvement is not noted within this time period, it's unlikely to follow after. This is a presentation to be familiar with in primary care settings and otolaryngology as early recognition and treatment is critical. 
Now we're going to review some of the important aspects of a history in the context of adult hearing loss. Any patient presenting with hearing loss should have a full auditory history and examination. It's critical to ask about the onset and progression and if they're experiencing unilateral or bilateral loss. Through the history, you can also gain an understanding of how the hearing loss is affecting the patient. Asking how well they can understand spoken word and if the problem is mainly with noisy backgrounds or if it's equally present in quiet settings as well. Additionally, you can ask about associated tinnitus, vertigo, or disequilibrium, or if they've experienced headache or visual disturbances around the time of the episodes of the hearing loss. It's important to ask about pain or drainage from the ear. It's essential to inquire about some of the causes that we reviewed, such as trauma, major infection, ear surgeries, medical conditions, diabetes, coronary artery disease, and autoimmune diseases. Social history is also important in the clinical context and asking about their job and the nature of noise level at the workplace. Excessive noise exposure can affect the degree of presbycusis or age-related hearing loss that develops, and exposure to loud noises can cause high-frequency sensory neural hearing loss. As always, don't forget to ask about family history of hearing loss and medications both prescribed and over-the-counter. There are some aspects of the physical examination and testing that can occur in a primary care office setting. However, most patients will also require formal audiological testing or other specialized tests. There are also a variety of free smartphone apps that can perform screening audiograms, including UHEAR, which has been validated in a number of peer-reviewed studies against the gold standard pure tone audiometry. This technique is particularly helpful in situations where formal audiograms are not accessible. In the office setting, methods used to evaluate hearing include whispered voice test, tone-emitting otoscope, questionnaires, and tuning forks. The whispered voice test is often introduced to medical students in clinical skills and involves standing at an arm's length behind the patient as they cover one ear and whispering a sequence of words such as 99 and then asking them to repeat what they heard. This is repeated for the opposite ear. Screening for hearing loss with the tone-emitting otoscope has been shown to be the most effective screening method compared to questionnaires. Tuning forks can be utilized to perform Weber and Renee's test, which can help distinguish this location and type of hearing loss the patient is experiencing. The Weber's test is conducted by placing the vibrating tuning fork on the midline of the forehead or the bridge of the nose, and then asking the patient where the loudest sound is experienced, on the left, right, or middle. The vibration will be conducted through the bone to the cochlea, and in normal hearing or symmetrical hearing loss, the sound is heard in the middle, equal on both sides. The Weber test suggests sensory neural hearing loss if the sound is louder on the patient's reported good side, and conductive hearing loss is considered if the sound is louder on the bad side. Renee test differentiates sound transmitted through air conduction from bone conduction through the mastoid bone. The tuning fork handle is placed on the mastoid bone behind the ear, and the patient is asked to report when the sound is no longer audible. Then the fork is brought away from the bone near the ear canal and asked if they can hear the sound now. Another way to complete this test is asking the patient if the tuning fork is louder on the bone or by the ear. A normal test result would be hearing the sound again once the fork is brought in close proximity to the ear, or hearing it louder when by the ear, demonstrating ear conduction is better than bone conduction. The Weber and Renee test work together to help differentiate conductive and sensory neural hearing loss. An abnormal Renee test suggests conductive hearing loss, particularly if the Weber test also lateralizes to that side. In the case that the Renee's test is normal in an ear where the Weber's test showed lateralization to that same ear, the Renee's test must be conducted on the opposite ear. If the test is normal in this ear, it's suggestive of sensory neural hearing loss. Formal audiologic testing should be performed for patients who do not have a known cause for the hearing loss. When an etiology for hearing loss is not clear, referral to an otolaryngologist is recommended. Thank you so much for listening to our episode. We would like to extend our sincere thanks to the St. John Regional Hospital Department of Surgery within the Horizon Health Network for their very generous support. 
Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll tune in to our next episode. Please head to our website at www.theodoapproach.com for our show notes, and just sign up for our newsletter to stay up to date with our latest episode.